in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, I'd like to welcome you all to our Perseverance Family Conversation, and as always, it's great to be with all of you. And as we start off our conversation, we like to invite Mary to be with us. Mary has many wonderful titles. Mary is the Mother of God. Mary is the Mother of the Church. And Mary is the Mother of each and every one of us. And also as we pray in the Hail Holy Queen, Mary is also known as our life, our sweetness, and our hope. And actually on this Friday we'll be celebrating Mary's birthday so we can prepare ourselves to celebrate the birthday of Mary, the Mother of God. And she's our mother also. So let's say the prayer that Mary loves most. And that prayer is the Hail Mary. So together. Hail Mary. Full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary. Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now let's invite to be with us our spiritual director. Our spiritual director is the Holy Spirit. Like Mary, the Holy Spirit has many wonderful titles. The Holy Spirit is known as the Paraclete. The Holy Spirit is also known as the Gift of Gifts. Holy Spirit is also known as the Sweet Guest of Our Souls. Holy Spirit is also known as The Sanctifier. The Holy Spirit is also known as our Counselor. Our Counselor as well as our Consoler. And the Holy Spirit is our interior master or teacher. St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, says we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans so that we can say, Abba. Abba, which means Daddy or Father. So let's uh, invite the Holy Spirit to come to be with us and to give us a lot of light in our mind as well as 
fire, fire of divine love to burn within our hearts. As we pray the classical prayer to the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. Our Lady Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. Saint Francis Xavier, pray for us. Saint Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. Saint Maria Faustina Kowalska, pray for us. All God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, true, my friends, the family that prays together stays together. And a world at prayer is a world at peace. How good it is to start off our day praying together. And later on in the evening, I'll be praying for all of you. I'll place all of you on the altar in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. In the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And I'll offer the following intentions. First intention, that all of us would be open to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. Our sanctification depends upon us being open to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. And we can say this prayer. 
Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come to the heart of Mary. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come to the heart of Mary. My next intention, I'd like to pray for our families. We all have family members, some family member that is the lost sheep. And perhaps we were the lost sheep before. And the Good Shepherd has welcomed us back into his fold. So let's pray. I'd like to pray for the conversion of our family members, the sanctification of our family members, and the salvation of our family members. The words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ pave the path for us. He says, What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? And then I'd like to pray in a special way with you for those who will be dying. We'll pray for Father Mark Beard who passed away August 2nd in a car accident. Very good priest. We'll also pray for those who will be dying today. And I would also say pray for ourselves so that when the Lord calls us, we will be prepared for the day and the hour that the Lord will call us from this life to the next. Yes, my friends. So today, I'd like to start off with the Word of God. Still, my friends, we are we're reading through the letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. I'd like to take one verse and explain it. St. Paul says today, But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness for the day to overtake you like a thief. For all of you are children of light and children of the day. What consoling words. Let me tell you uh, a very famous story or myth by one of the greatest philosophers in the in the world. And the name of the philosopher is Plato. Three of the great philosophers, Greek philosophers, would be Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Three great Greek philosophers. And St. Paul says that we are not in darkness. But how many people today, even many Catholics, they prefer to live in darkness. Plato, the great philosopher, 
in his Republic, he tells the story, it's called The Myth of the Cave. And it's the following. In this cave, there are chained several people. They're chained hand and foot, and their backs are to the entrance. So they're able to see only only the shadows that are cast on the wall from outside the cave. So they're living in the realm of shadows, not in the realm of the light that St. Paul mentions. They're living in the realm of the shadow, the shadow world. What happens What happens is that one of the one of the men who's in the cave, he's able to break the chains, shatter the fetters. And he runs outside into the real world where he sees the sun shining. He hears the birds singing. He smells the fragrance of the spring flowers. He sees the beauty of the of the countryside and the mountains and the landscape. He's able to see the various rainbow of colors. He's able to see the the meadows decked with various flowers. He's able to see the the white mountain cap the mountains capped with beautiful white snow. He's able to see the beautiful white clouds. And he's just he's just captivated by the beauty of what he's seeing in the real world. So out of charity and love for his friends, he rushes back into the cave and tells the people, let's break the chains. Let's go outside. And, and live in the real, real world to see the real beauty of the of the world that's outside the cave. And in unison, those in the cave said, "Leave us alone. We're happy to be where we're at. Leave us alone. We're happy to be where we're at." That's. One of the most well-known stories in Plato's Republic. It's known as the myth of the cave. 
known as the myth of the cave. How can we interpret it? Well, St. Paul says, we are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us stay alert and sober. My friends, our work is to live in the light. But let's pray for how many people, how many people do we know in our lives, friends and relatives? that are living they're living in the darkness of the cave their hands their feet are chained they're living in the realm of shadows they're living in darkness and darkness is a symbol of sin Judas left the upper room and it says he left Jesus and he entered into the night. How many people today are living in darkness but like the myth of the cave, they they don't want to get out of darkness. They want to stay in the cave and they want to be, they're happy to be in chains, in shackles. To be bound. There's a famous saying in Spanish related to this topic, and it goes like this No en peor ciego que aquel que no quiere ver. No en peor sordo que aquel que no quiere oír. It's a good proverb. Very good proverb. And translated into English, it's this. There's no worse blind person than the blind person that does not want to see. There's no worse deaf person than the deaf person that does not want to hear. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the third part, which is on morality and the sacraments, there's a dual dynamic. God's mercy. The mercy, the mercy of God is infinite. Give thanks to the Lord for His good, for His mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy endures forever. But God's mercy, God's mercy depends on one thing, is that we have to recognize, we have to recognize that we are sinners. 
that we are in darkness, that Christ has to be our light, that Christ has to free us by living in that cave, chained in that cave, looking at mere pale shadows cast on the wall. And even ourselves in our Perseverance family, perhaps we're not in the cave, but still there are there is darkness and shadows that have to be cast out of our own lives. We're not always walking fully in the light, but we should be praying for the grace to walk more and more in the light of truth. And one of the best ways to break the chains and enter into the light is to make a good sacramental confession. That's right. Making a good sacramental confession. We're breaking the chains of sin. We're entering to the light of Christ. And Jesus invites all of us. He invites all of us. With these words that I love so much, these words give so much comfort to we who are burdened by our sins. We're, we have the shackles of our sins that seem to be dragging us at times in the wrong direction. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you, and I will and find life burdensome, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that's my comment I like to make from the first reading. I'd like to take one idea and which St. Paul says that we are not in the darkness, but we are, are in the light. He says, not to sleep as the rest do, but let us be alert and sober. Be alert and sober. That's one of the common preachings of Jesus Christ with the parable of the talents of the wise and foolish virgins. Stay awake, because we know neither the day nor the hour. The responsorial psalm, the antiphon is, I believe that I shall see the good things of the Lord in the land of the living. What the psalm is saying is this. Is that one day, one day, my friends, we hope and trust that we will be with the Lord in heaven. We will be with the Lord in the land of the living, in the land where there's light and peace and joy and happiness and friendship and no suffering and no lies, and no wars, no tension. 
those words of the psalmist should give us a lot of a lot of encouragement in the midst of the trials and tribulations that we experience on a daily basis. So now, my friend, let's move into the gospel. I'd like to just give you an overview of where we are now. So, this week we enter into a into a new gospel. We got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew has twenty eight chapters. Mark has sixteen chapters. Luke has twenty four chapters. John has twenty one chapters. Those are the four Gospels and the chapters in the four Gospels. So we finish the Gospel of Matthew. And yesterday we moved into the Gospel of St. Luke. Just an overall view of Luke. Luke is a beautiful gospel. And these are these are among the most important topics or themes in St. Luke. It's a gospel we see many women presented in a very positive light. We see Mary and Elizabeth and Anna and um Many women, Mary Magdalene, in a very positive light. It's also known as the Gospel of Prayer. In Luke, we're going to hear Jesus teaching us the Our Father. We see Jesus, when he's baptized, he rejoices in the Spirit and he's in prayer. Jesus also gives us two of the parables on prayer in Luke chapter 18. The parable of the uh, insistent widow as well as the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. It's known as the gospel of the Holy Spirit. For example, Simeon it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he's seen Lumen Gentium, moved by the Holy Spirit, he enters the temple. Then moved by the Holy Spirit, he makes a prophecy when he has the child Jesus in his arms. And also Luke, it's interesting that Luke is the only chapter that has the par- two, two of the most famous parables. In Luke, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Then we have Luke chapter 15, which is, as Father Al Hall calls it, it's known as the lost and found chapter. It's the lost and found chapter. 
the lost coin and the coin they found. The lost sheep and the sheep that is found. The lost son and the son that's found also known as the parable of the prodigal son. And finally, St. Luke, St. Luke concludes his gospel with 24 chapters. And only this is found in the gospel of St. Luke. And it's the encounter with Jesus and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Cleophas and the unknown disciple was possibly St. Luke, but is also we're called to be that unknown disciple walking with Jesus. So my friends, that's a that's an overview of the Gospel of St. Luke. And by the way, St. Luke also is known as the author of the book after the Gospels, and that would be the Acts of the Apostles. The 28 chapters of the Acts of the Apostles. So that's an overview to get the, the biblical literary context of this beautiful Gospel that we're going to be reading through until the end of the church year, until we enter into the season of Advent which will be in about a little bit less than three months. So, the Gospel of St. Luke. The Gospel of St. Luke. So, we're, we entered yesterday into the fourth chapter where we saw Jesus preaching in Nazareth and him being rejected. He said certain things that his he brought up and raised in Nazareth did not like. And they brought him to the brow of the hill with the intention, intention to throw him headlong. And he walked through their midst. So right away we see in the, and this is the public life of Christ. And the public life of Christ, my friends, is about three years. Try to remember that. From He's about 30 up until 33. This is known as the public life of Christ. From 30 to about 33 years of age. The other 30 years is known as the private life. Which Jesus spent with Mary and Joseph in Nazareth, exercising the profession of a carpenter. He's known as St. Joseph, who is a carpenter. Also, giving you another kind of biblical gospel overview of the activities that Jesus will carry out in his public life. In his public life, Jesus will Basically, carry out three activities. Teacher. 
Jesus was the greatest of all teachers. He's a teacher par excellence. And we want to be sitting at the feet of Jesus and absorbing his teaching. And Jesus carried out a lot of miracles. One occasion he's going to say, if you don't believe in my words, at least believe in my actions, because only God can do miracles. And his miracles were of two types. Miracles over nature Miracles over nature. And then there would be miracles of healing. Of healing. The blind, the deaf, the mute, the sick. Heal, healing miracles. And then last, and we're going to see this today, With a certain frequency, Jesus is going to enter in contact with the devil. And often it will be more than one devil. If you remember, Jesus starts off his public life by being baptized by John in the Jordan River. Then the Holy Spirit, he compels Jesus to go into the desert where he's there present for 40 days and 40 nights. While there, he fasts. And afterward, the devil comes to tempt Jesus. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, he got three different temptations. One was... The devil says, if you're really the son of God, turn those stones into bread. And Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. So that brings us to the gospel today. So we see Jesus moving from Nazareth. To Capernaum. Now, this is where Peter and James and John and Andrew they lived along the shore of Capernaum, and they were, of course, they were fishermen. Capernaum is a town of Galilee. So Jesus goes. He goes to the synagogue. So just an idea of what, what is this idea, a synagogue? You've heard the word synagogue probably many times. Well, the, the Jewish people in the time of Jesus, they had the temple. The temple was built, was start, started to be built, in the time of King Solomon, who was actually the son of King David. And it was a majestic temple that took many years to build, a very beautiful, majestic temple. 
So there's just one temple. But the the towns like Nazareth and Capernaum, they had their local churches, and their local churches were called they were called synagogues. I was in the Holy Land a few years back, and it's very interesting because the different religious groups. The Muslims would be, their day of the week was Friday. The Jewish people, their Sabbath was Saturday. And the Christians and the Catholics, our day would be Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So three different religious groups present. If you ever go to Jerusalem, you'll you'll probably remember what I'm saying right now. So, Sabbath, Saturday, was a day of rest, but it's a day in which the people would have recourse to going to the synagogue. And in the synagogue, the Bible, the Torah, and the prophets would be read to the people. And explained. So that's the that's the context. The synagogue would be the local church. The people would have recourse to the synagogue <coughs> Saturday, and their Sabbath would start Friday night. As we. Saturday night, we already enter into the Sabbath rest. And then there would be the reading of, for example, yesterday, we saw Jesus going to the synagogue in Nazareth, where he was brought up and raised. And it was given to him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus read from the scroll. And he said, today these words are accomplished in your presence. And then Jesus preached to them. And they didn't like his words at all. So much that they rushed him out, pushed him to the brow of the hill with the intention of pushing him over the hill. But he walked through their midst. So we move from Nazareth to Capernaum. And he says that he taught them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching. Because he spoke with authority. So Jesus spoke with authority. His words had power. Pharisees would speak about Moses and the prophets, but Jesus would say, Moses said this, but I say, was Jesus is presenting the fact that he was superior to Moses and the prophets of old. So, my friends, 
Jesus is speaking with authority. In our talks, we try to present the topic in interpretation and in application. St. Augustine speaks about prayer in this way. When we read, when we read the Bible, when we read the Bible, God speaks to us. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. When we read the Bible, God speaks to us. But when we pray, then we speak to God. Do you like that? I like to repeat that. When we read the Bible, we read the Gospel. Read the God is speaking to us. But then we, when we pray, when we pray, after listening to God, when we pray, then we speak to God. And that's really the essence of prayer, biblical prayer, is that God speaks to us also. I'm explaining to you the Word of God. I'm explaining to you the Word of God. So we're, we're listening now to God speak to us through the reading of the Gospel. Then when we pray, then we speak to God. That's the whole... So prayer is not a monologue, but rather prayer is a dialogue. In other words, prayer is not a one-way street. It's not a dead-end street. But prayer is a two-way street. God speaks to us through the through the gospel. Especially Jesus speaks to us through the gospel. And then we respond to him by talking to him about what's in our minds and what's in our hearts. How beautiful. So Jesus preached with power and authority. And the people were astonished. So there in the synagogue that day, there was a man with the spirit of an unclean demon. An unclean demon. And as we said earlier, you're going to be noticing in the public life of Christ that lasted about three years, that Jesus is going to be doing abundant preaching as he's doing in the synagogue. He's going to be healing the blind and the sick and the paralytics. But Jesus also is going to have contact, direct contact, with the devil. And sometimes by a person that's being influenced or even possessed by the devil. And that we're going to see today. And this is Mark 4, 31 to 37, the fourth chapter of St. Luke. So this, this demon-possessed man cries out, 
there in the synagogue. He says in a loud voice, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Boys found this, my friends, to be fascinating. Boys found this to be fascinating. That you remember nine days ago in the Sunday Mass that Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi and he asked the question who do people say that I am? Do you remember that gospel? It was just nine days ago. Who do people say that I am? And the apostles said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist that has returned. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, the people that were following Christ, they they didn't really know who he was. They were off the mark. But Jesus then asked Peter and the apostles, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the multitude didn't get it right. Peter got it right. But this, the enemy, the, the devil actually gets it right. He says, what have you had to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. So it's very interesting that the, dev- the devil himself <coughs> is professing that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Very interesting. Jesus intervenes and he rebukes him sharply. He says, be quiet. Come out of him. So once again we see the the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Not only could he calm the storms, Not only could he walk on water, but also Jesus Christ with power could command the evil spirits, rebuke the evil spirits, and they would obey him. So he says, be quiet, come out of him. Now as a result of that, The demon threw the man down in front of them. 
and the demon came out of the man without doing the man any harm. So right now, my friends, in this gospel passage, you have you have witnessed what we call an exorcism. That's right. You have witnessed right now what we call an exorcism. That Jesus cast out the unclean spirit from this man and no harm was done to him. Rather, there was healing. Never forget that Jesus, we draw close to Jesus, he never harms us, but he heals us. I repeat, drawing close to Jesus, he never harms us. He never harms us. But he heals us. For that reason, we we call Jesus, Jesus has many names, but Jesus is the divine physician. So what is the reaction of the people? Don't forget, this isn't a public setting. It's in a synagogue. Jesus has preached. And the people were probably aware that this man had a serious problem. This is probably not the first time that this man had come to this synagogue in Capernaum. It says that the reaction of the people they were all amazed. I think I would be too. They're all amazed and they said to one another. They're all amazed. They said to one another. What is there about his word? I'd like to underline the word. Jesus himself is the Logos. Jesus is the Word of God. And what a privilege it is, my friends, to come to our Perseverance family and to listen to the Word of God. And remember what St. Augustine says. There is a dynamic of prayer. The dynamic of prayer is it's a two-way street. The dynamic of prayer, it's a two-way street in which we listen, we listen attentively to the Word of God, like Samuel in the temple. Speak, O Lord, for, speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. But then when we we speak to God, that's prayer. So we have, to, we have to learn how to listen to God first and then to speak to God. And the Word of God, the Word of God has much authority. No doubt about it. The Word of God has much authority. And they say, they're all amazed. What is there about his word? 
For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. My friends, we're getting to know Jesus Christ better and better. We're getting to know him better and better. St. Ignatius, he suggests that when we're contemplating the life of Christ, we beg for this grace. And when you're reading the Gospels, it's a good habit to beg for this Ignatian grace. And that is intimate, intimate knowledge of Jesus. That we love him more ardently and then we follow him more closely. Isn't that a beautiful grace? I think we've got to know Jesus a little bit better today. So it's this intimate knowledge of Jesus. That we love him more ardently and we follow him more closely. So my friends, may Jesus Christ be our master. May he be our teacher. May he be our guide. He himself said, I am the way the truth and the life. So let's pray as we draw close to Mary's birthday on Friday that Mary, the mother of God, who pondered the word of God in her heart and moved on it by visiting Elizabeth. Let's ask Mary for the grace to listen to the word of God, to talk to the Lord, and to put it into practice. I invite all of you to share our message with the whole world. And I'd like to give you my priestly blessing. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.